you may have heard a lot about Major League Pickleball recently with all of the well-known owners getting into the game. Well, today I have on the podcast one of the pros, Susanna Barr, who has been in every Major League Pickleball season so far. So, needless to say, we talk about MLP plus the fourth shot. Let's get to the intro to hear from Susanna. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Susanna Barr. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me, Lynn. Yes, it's actually been a really quick turnaround for scheduling this interview. I appreciate you getting on and Happy New Year. And Typically, I do like to start off the podcast with a bit about your background in terms of how you heard about pickleball first and when you first got started. Sure. So I've been playing pickleball for almost six years now. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but then when I think back, it's like, oh, okay, that's six years. I first heard about it. We were living over in Seattle and I actually saw some of the courts at a park and I was like, what is this? And so I looked it up. But then we never actually played it until we moved to Boise, Idaho. And honestly, I was just bored. Like, it's not exciting. I didn't know anyone else who played. I did play tennis. I I was playing some adult USTA leagues. And I just was bored. And I was like, okay, I remember this pickleball thing. Let's check it out. I did a Google search that they had it at the local YMCA. And I actually bought a couple of starter paddles off Amazon. I had never played. And uh, my son and I showed up at the YMCA one morning. We sat in the parking lot. It was probably a February. It was really cold. And we watched a YouTube video on how to play in the parking lot. And then we went into the gym and it was gym floor. And the rest is history, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And I would imagine a lot has happened in six years. I know I started playing in 2018 and to the sport of pickleball, so much has happened in terms of just how it's developed and flourished. And I know you have been very involved in Major League Pickleball, and which has, I really haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast, but it has expanded significantly with many well-known people within sports and other industries actually becoming owners of Major League Pickleball teams. So tell me a little bit about your history with Major League Pickleball and just walk through that. Sure. So I I started playing pro pickleball probably about right before COVID is when I kind of made the jump. So that would have been in kind of 2020, the end of 2019. And then we had that break. And then as soon as things got started up again, I was pretty much going full-time pro at that time. And was fortunate enough to be drafted in the very first major league pickleball. And I've been drafted and have played in in every major league pickleball event since then. So it's just been super exciting to see just that growth. It's a unique event. And if you ask most of the pros out there, it's probably their favorite event to play. The team aspect is just, it just adds an element that I think we just all love and thrive off of the team energy, being able to support each other. And then now it's just getting really exciting with all these owners and the publicity that it's getting. 
Now, I believe when the first season of Major League Pickleball, wasn't it just one event, I think, probably in the Austin area? Yes. Yep. It was one event, Dreamland, November of 2021. So last, not last year now, but about a year ago. And that was the first event. It was a three-day event. And it has definitely changed from that first event. That first event was they were kind of figuring things out still. And I, I think there'll be more changes this coming year that we'll see. It's still a, a work in progress. But I think they're, they're just looking long term as to how can this become an, a, a league? It's exciting now that there's cities attached to the teams. I'm, I was drafted onto the Chicago Slice. And it's amazing how many people I've had reach out to me. One, they're kind of wondering, am I moving to Chicago? Okay, no, I'm not moving to Chicago. And then they're also just wondering, like, are we, are we playing in Chicago? Like, what does that mean? And especially people who are from Chicago, right? And right now, we're not. We have a city attached to us. And I think like a lot of our owners are associated with that city. But they're just trying to build that kind of like idea of this is a team connected to a a region. And it's really been cool with Chicago Slice, just hearing how many people now are really excited about my team because they're from Chicago. And I think that's what they're trying to go for, where it was like, it's like an actual fan base that they're starting to build. And I honestly don't know what their goal is in the long term, but I could imagine maybe they're hoping to have some regional kind of connection, which is so it's pretty, it's been pretty fun. I bet. So What's it going to look like for 2023 in terms of the number of events and where they're going to be played? Right. So they've got six events scheduled. After three events, they will be doing a complete redraft. So three events for the first season, three events for what they're calling the second season. So we don't know what the second half of the year is going to look like yet, but the events will be spread out around the country. The very first event is the end of this month in Mesa, Arizona. Now, that's really interesting that they're going to do a complete redraft. Do you think that's because there's a lot of excitement around just doing the draft in general? I think like if you go to the website, I do think they explain it a little bit. And what they did is because they've expanded to 24 teams now, right? So they have 24 owners or owner groups, but they have the 24 teams are divided into two leagues. And so you've got your Premier League and you've got your Challenger League. And the owners, obviously, my guess would be that they would like to own a a Premier League team. And so what they're doing is halfway through the year, the ownership groups are actually switching leagues. So if you own a Challenger League the first half of the year, you'll own a Premier League the second half of the year. So that's why they're doing a redraft. And then... My understanding is that they'll be collecting points for the whole year. And then for next year, for 2024, depending on which 12 teams finished highest, then they will become the Premier League. So it's all kind of set up for the future, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting the way that they do it. And I think I read somewhere along the line, and I'm not sure if this happened in 2020, Actually, I think it was in 2022. You were at some point traded, weren't you? I was traded. Yes. So I played two events with the Hard Eights. And then after two events, I was traded to the bus. 
for the third event. So that was interesting experience for sure. And I, I had a great experience with both teams. And that's just part of sports. Like at first you're I'm being traded. Like, what does that mean? But then, you know, that all sports have that where athletes can be traded for various reasons. And it's not always a negative thing. And, uh, and it's just kind of part of, it's kind of in some ways, it's kind of neat to see that the sport is evolving in that way of trying to figure out how do we get the best team and not just, it's not just about ability, but it's also about which team is going to connect, right? And play well together. Right. Very true. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it is a, such an interesting concept. I, I remember when it started and uh, how much excitement there was, because like you said, the team-based aspect just makes it really unique, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It's, I mean, to have your teammates on the side cheering for you. I mean, I, Obviously, we all love to play regular tournaments and those are not going anywhere. And actually, I do think in the last few years, we are seeing more and more fans and more cheering. I remember of it must have been 2019. And I had some students of mine who were down at Indian Wells and they were cheering for me and people were giving them you know, glares and, oh, no, we can't. We can't be loud. And they're like, why? It's not tennis, right? But there was definitely that feeling. And and in my experience, I feel like that's really shifted in the last couple of years. And now it's way more acceptable to cheer, to get loud. It's a lot more fun in that sense. That's not tennis. So I've really enjoyed seeing that change. But then when you add MLP and you have your own teammates cheering, like it, it is, it's just a really great feeling and you really feel connected. And I don't know. It's hard to explain until you play a team event. We run, we actually ran a, we've run a team event here in Boise, even before MLP. It's a nonprofit. It's a fundraiser for mental health awareness that we run every year. And I'll tell you what, it is probably the most beloved event that we have in Boise. And for that reason, because it's just so much fun to, to be able to support each other. That sounds like a great event. And just before we leave Major League Pickleball, I should ask you about your team, the Chicago Slice, who is on yes. your team with you? Yes. So I'm excited for this team. We have some newer players that people might not have heard of, but I feel like we really got very fortunate in who we got on our team. So we've got Emily Ackerman and she's a newer pro. She's young. She's like 22, I think, college tennis player, up and comer. And then we also grabbed Connor Garnett, who is also a new pro and was also a, a very high level, all these tennis players, high level uh, college tennis player. And he's been one of the most exciting players to kind of watch. Uh, the first time we all saw him was at the Sacramento um, Open. And we're all, we were all just sitting there going, who is this guy? <laughs> like, like, is he for real? Like, how did we never see him before? And so I think he's going to be one to watch and people are going to be pretty surprised at just uh, what he can bring. And then we also grabbed Ryler DeHart, who is not quite as new as these other two. They're both in their 20s, which is awesome. You got to balance out some of our experience with some youth and uh, and has been playing at least on the pro circuit for the all of last year. And he, he's pretty well known out of Florida. He was a pro tennis player 
and uh, a lefty, big, tall guy. And so definitely um, very excited about our team. Yeah. All right. Well, I will definitely be looking forward to your first event at the end of the month in January. And you said it was in Mesa, right? Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because whenever I do get on of your caliber, I do like to talk about an instructional aspect of the game. Sure. And I noticed that you have a YouTube channel with some really excellent videos. I think you're probably just getting started. And one of the videos is actually on the fourth shot. Yes. So, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. It was a great <laughs> video on drills. So let me kind of back up a little bit because everybody, I think, is very familiar with the importance of the third shot to the game of pickleball. But the fourth shot, of course, is typically when your opponent is going to be up at that kitchen line. And as the game has evolved, I mean, even when I first started the highest level players, a lot of their third shots were drops into the kitchen. But now there's just so many drives also. So you really do have to be ready for anything. But let me ask you, on the four shot, kind of what shot should you be hitting in which situation? Ah, great question. So, I mean, it really is going to depend a lot on the third shot that your opponents are hitting. If they're hitting a drive, you have some options to obviously just block the ball back, punch it back at their feet if you can, if you can get on it soon enough. I would say handle that drive with a little bit of pace back because by them hitting a drive, they're not going to be able to move up quite as far as they would with a drop. So hopefully you can catch them before they get up very close. You just want to make sure you're able to put it down because if you pop that fourth shot up at all, then they're charging in and potentially attacking you. If they hit a drop, right, which I'm still a huge fan of the third shot drop. That is my go-to. I've been working on my drive, but I still tend to use the third shot drop way more than I would drive a ball. If that drop is high, then of course, attack it, push them back, maybe down the middle, right? There's a nice big opening down that middle that we can hit to as they're moving forward because the service team has left a lot of court space open, right? And so we want to capitalize on that amount of court space that we have, which means getting the ball deep, right? Getting it back into those angles that are still exposed. And then if they actually, if they hit a great, third shot drop. This one is like, this one's hard for, I would say lower level players. Cause our tendency is we always are trying to attack everything, but if they hit a really nice third shot drop, then I always say we need to respect it. And at that time, like you might just want to start the kitchen game, right? You might just want to hit a dink back over, hopefully hit it at an angle so that we're still putting a little pressure on our opponents. But if somebody hits a great third shot drop and we try to do too much with it, we're going to end up again, potentially popping it up, which is what we don't want to be doing. And so it's just kind of recognizing the ball that's coming to you and then reacting appropriately. So the more we practice the different kinds of four shots that we could hit, depending on the ball that's hit to us, we're going to be prepared in that game situation. Then like if somebody hits me a really good fourth shot or sorry, a really good third shot drop. I'd like to potentially hit a sharp dink to one of the corners 
off of that so that I'm not just giving it back to them, but I'm, I'm putting it at an angle where they still have to move. And then that's how we get into to the kitchen game. Cause you hear people say all the time, I want to get in the kitchen game. Like I want to do dinking. I want to do all this, but I can't seem to do it. And it's like, well, you got to make that choice when they hit a third shot. Put it back in the kitchen. Don't always try to hit it hard. Don't always try to hit it deep and just neutralize the point and see what develops from there. So anyways, that's my philosophy on those fourth shots and uh, returning teams need to have a plan with those because that returning team has a big advantage and you don't want to waste it. Very true. Now, one thing that I want to ask about, because I, I think certainly myself included, People will struggle with deciding whether or not to be more offensive when they're hitting that four shot. And so I'm curious, how do you learn to differentiate between, ah, they hit a good third shot drop or they hit a good drive and I need to have some patience and and not be aggressive? How do you actually even learn that skill? Right. I mean, I'm a big supporter of a lot of practice (laughs) and a lot of drills. So that's one of the things that we're doing with our YouTube channel is putting some simple drills out there that you can do with a ball machine or with one other person so that you're starting to recognize those, those different balls sooner and be able to make those choices quicker in the moment. Obviously, one of the biggest keys is to get in that ready position. So when you get up to that no volley line, from off your return and you're up there and hopefully you're in a good balanced position, get your paddle up and use that paddle as a guide to follow the service team and to follow the person who is hitting the third shot. So paying extra close attention to the spin of the ball, to the lift of the ball, to the speed of the ball that's coming off that service player in that third shot is going to help you recognize sooner what kind of ball is coming to you. And then what can I do with it? Um, unfortunately, there's no easy, no easy solution. It's practice, just like with just about anything that we do. If we want to get better at it, we need to practice. And uh, I love drilling myself. A lot of times people ask me, how did you transition to playing pro pickleball? I'm not the youngest player out there. I've been playing for a little while, but not forever. And, and I live in a town that people don't typically think of it as having pro pickleball players. Um, and I just say, well, I practice, right? Like that's what I do. I drill. I find people I can drill with and I work on the shots I want to work on. And, um, and I found a way to make it fun, right? So it's a lot of times drilling for me is a game. It's not just hitting a ball over and over again. I turn it into games. I turn it into competition challenges for myself. And so that's my biggest recommendation for people. You got it. And if it's only 10 minutes before you play a rent game, that's a start, right? So, yeah. Very true. So let me ask, let me actually circle back to the situation where the serving team is hitting a third shot and it is a drive that's coming at me. And we'll say it's not real high, but where should I be aiming in the court when I either block or kind of punch that? Where should I aim that ball? Right. So if they're hitting a solid drive at you, right, first off, we want to get balanced. So what that means is not be standing up too high, bend our knees, use our body to help either block that ball or punch that ball back. 
Like the majority of our strength comes from our core and from our legs, not from our arm. And so we, we got to kind of find that balance. Right. And then as far as where to put it, like, I, I honestly, like, I love to punch a ball like that back down the middle because both those service players are moving up at that time. And you're hoping to maybe catch them in that transition zone or catch them undecided who should actually take that ball. So the middle is always a safe choice for that. You can also punch it back at someone's feet and again, try to catch them as they're moving. So that's one of the challenges. Like a good drive is a great shot to have for a third shot, but you got to be careful because the ball's coming so fast to the opponents, to the person hitting the fourth shot, that they can punch it back with some pace and actually catch that person still moving and kind of cause some problems. But I would say go middle first, and then from there, start to make some adjustments as you become more comfortable handling the drives. Right. And like you said before, the key, of course, is to make sure that you're keeping that ball low and not popping it up so they can hit an offensive shot. Right. Absolutely. And the more grounded you can get um, when you're up at that kitchen line, I always tell my students, you're like a wall, right? So get grounded, bend your legs, get your paddle out in front of you, away from your body some. The lower you can kind of get comfortably, you're going to find it's actually going to be easier for you to put the ball down. If you're standing too upright and that paddle is maybe down at your waist or a little bit lower or too close to your body, you're actually going to have a tendency to, to pop the ball up. All right. Well, you've got the Major League Pickleball going on. You've got your YouTube channel, which is called the Pickleball Academy. And I I know you said that you're in the Boise, Idaho area. If somebody wants to connect with you, because it sounds like you do teach a fair amount of pickleball also, uh, where's the best place for them to reach out? That's a great question. So I do have a website. It's Dark Horse Pickleball. That's the name of my company. And I do have some clinics going on around the country as well. So not just in Idaho, but I do most of my instruction here local. So they could definitely go to my website. There's a form there where you can contact me. Or of course, you can find me on social media on Instagram at susannabar.pb is my pickleball Instagram handle. And then I'm on Facebook as well, just Susanna Bar. So lots of ways to, to locate me and... I love when people reach out and if you comment on our YouTube videos at the Pickleball Academy, I'm the one who's actually writing back to you. And so I love questions, love pickleball. It's been a great thing in my life and I just love the sports and want it to continue to grow. And I have a heart for teaching. I was a teacher even before pickleball. So the more I can help other people improve their game, that makes me happy. Awesome. Well, I think you'll probably make a lot of people happy with this podcast episode. A lot of fun in terms of everything that you do are doing. And I thank you so much for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.